0: Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Um, On this last Sunday of May, it's Memorial Day weekend. Um, We probably have some cookouts and things to go to uh, this weekend uh, and uh, all kinds of fun. I know that the Hobatter House is really excited about the beginning of summer, uh, and I bet yours is too. So this summer here at Central, we're going to spend some time in the Proverbs, and I just want to preview that just a little bit this morning um, because uh, this Thursday will be June the 1st, and I want to encourage you to take on a certain discipline uh, for the couple of months of June and July. And next beginning next week, we're gonna start with classes and sermons are gonna be revolving around the book of Proverbs and really uh, looking through that. And one way that we can dive into that together is if we'll just take some time and read through that book. If you've ever read Proverbs before, you know that there is no way that we're gonna have a sermon for every one of the 800 different Proverbs that are involved in that book. Can I get an amen? Okay, all right. So especially not over the course of the summer. So what we wanna do is, we're di- as we're digesting that book together, I just wanna encourage you to be reading and, and, and um, nourishing yourself with that book over the summer. Here's what I would wanna suggest. Go ahead and pull out your phone. Teens, I know you already have it out. She's like, it ain't wrong, he ain't wrong. Okay, and what I want you to do is I want you to pull up your calendar for June the 1st. And I wanna encourage you to just make a calendar note, make a little reminder there that says Proverbs 1. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And if every day you'll just take out the Bible and read a chapter. Now, of course, in June, there's only 30 days, so you gotta make an extra one up somewhere, all right? But if you'll pull it up and you'll just say, okay, it's the 1st of June, I'm going to read Proverbs 1. It's the 5th of June, I'm reading Proverbs chapter 5. If it's the 10th of June, Proverbs chapter 10. If it's the 18th of June, you read Proverbs chapter... Okay, this is not going as well as I hoped, but um, I'm assuming that's because you were typing with your thumbs. You've got Proverbs chapter 1 in there. And listen, let's just try to develop that discipline of everyday digesting a little bit of that book. If we do that together over the course of the summer, we'll have read through that thing twice and have a little bit better of an understanding of what's in there. I really look forward to starting that series on Proverbs with you next week. But today, today I want to have a week where we think about temples. Temples in the ancient world marked out sacred space space where the divine could be encountered reliably, where the divine presence was there. And Israel had a long history with the idea of temples even before they had the one that they built in Jerusalem, all the way back to when Abraham had been first called into the presence of God to go with God uh, on his journeys in Canaan. and, and Abraham would in different locations begin to call on the name of the Lord in certain spaces and build a temple. And he would take this idea that he was meeting with God and he would put it into stone and rock and build up these spaces where he would mark, hey, this is somewhere that I have met and I have encountered the God who is calling me into the world. One of those poignant times in Genesis where this happens is when his grandson Jacob, is on the run. You guys remember the story of Jacob and Esau, and Jacob has so offended his brother that he is um, fears for his life. He feels like he has to run away. And while he's on the run, in Genesis chapter 28, he is in, he comes to a place that he will call Bethel. He'll call it the house of God because he has a dream, he has a vision that to him signifies God's presence in that place Jacob's surprised by this he's on the run he's on the move he has no expectation of encountering God in those places where he is just fleeing but in his exhaustion when he lays his head down on a rock and goes to sleep he is surprised and astonished to find that God is there in the vision that he has God Uh, says this to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, uh, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land for i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised you and jacob woke from his sleep and said surely the lord is in this place and i did not know it and he was afraid and said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, just as a little footnote, let's have a conversation sometime about how Jacob may be missing the point a little bit here because God says to him, I'm with you wherever you go. And Jacob says, Well, this place right here must be really important. The only reason that God is meeting him in that place is because that's where he's at. Okay, God actually was with him when he was still in his father Isaac's house and God will be with him when he goes to visit the house of Laban. God will be with him in all the places in between. But good for Jacob to recognize and to have his ignorance of God's blessing as God's presence lifted in that moment so that he can say, I didn't realize it, but God is here. God is present. Israel would go on and when they were at Mount Sinai, meeting with God in a place of God's presence, getting ready to leave Mount Sinai and go to Canaan. There was a problem. They were here in this place, this mountain of smoke and fire where God's presence was obvious. How would they deal with leaving that place and going into a new land? So God gives them a gift, the tabernacle, right? And the tabernacle is a temple on wheels, a way that they can remember just the message that Jacob had heard from God, that God would be with them wherever they went. They didn't have to stay at the foot of Mount Sinai to be in God's presence. God's presence would go with them all the way through their travels. And when they finally settled themselves in the land, the time of King David, they finally prepared Put down roots in this new city of Jerusalem, new to them. Putting down roots as a people meant putting down roots from the tabernacle. And so David arranges for his son Solomon to build a temple. A temple, a place where God's presence was recognized, acknowledged a place where you could go reliably to meet with God. And in that space, when it was built, there was a huge celebration. And that central place became the place where Israel would collect year after year, several times a year and come and journey. Even the ones that live miles and miles away, they would come to this place and celebrate God's presence there Listen to the delight that Psalm 84 has about the place of the temple. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My king and my God, happier are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion as they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our, behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and he bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly, O Lord of hosts. Happy is everyone who trusts in you. Can you hear the ringing delight of being at the temple for the psalmist? It says, I, I, would rather, I would rather be there than anywhere else in the world. I would rather just be the guy that holds the door in the temple than to live luxuriously among the wicked. He looks up at a, at, a, at a bird building its nest there in the temple grounds, right? And he says, ah, what a lucky bird. I wish I could be that swallow that just has a nest right there in the corner of the temple. Living in, that, that, that bird is living the dream there in the presence of God in the temple forever. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Can you hear the delight? Can you imagine what it meant to be a part of those festivals, the joining together of people in this sacred space, marking God's persistent presence? And only when we can acknowledge the delight of that and what that represented for the people, can we really own what it meant when that temple was destroyed, only then can we really perceive the disaster that came on Israel. When the Babylonians came in under King Nebuchadnezzar, and that empire destroyed so much of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple was an ad- absolute disaster for Israel. Judah could not believe, not only had they been overthrown, not only had they undergone such intense suffering, but there in the middle, this place that they had trusted for their security and for the reliable presence of God was torn down brick by brick. The temple lay in ruins and along with it, the hopes of Judah. Hear this word that... Mirrors the delight that we read in the Psalms of God's temple when it stood. Hear what the prophet Jeremiah says in the book of Lamentations. When the temple lays in ruins. How the Lord in his anger has humiliated daughter Zion. He has thrown down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool. Place of presence in the day of his anger. The Lord has destroyed without mercy all the dwellings of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of daughter Judah. He has brought down to the ground and dishonored the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn his right hand from them in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand. Set like a foe, he has killed all in whom we took pride in the tent of daughter Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. He has broken down his booth, his shelter, his dwelling place like a garden. He has destroyed his tabernacle. The Lord has abolished in Zion festival and Sabbath. And in his fierce indignation, he has spurned both the king and the priest. The Lord has scorned his own altar. Disowned his own sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. A clamor was raised in the house of the Lord as if it was a day of festival. Hear that? This place that that used to be filled with the sound of festivals, with the raucous crowd of the party, has now been filled with the raucous crowd of an enemy. And what used to be a sound of a great celebration is now the sound of a great mourning because the symbol of God's presence was torn down. It was devastating. It was an utter disaster. Can you feel that in your heart? Can we find a place of empathy for the ancient Jews who found that this sacred symbol was ripped out of their hands? Instead, there was something else symbolic, an empty spot, a place of desolation. Centuries later, if we can own some of what that disaster meant, we can begin to own the tremendous exclamation point that comes when Jesus himself embodying the presence of God comes back to Jerusalem. Now, another temple has been built there to be sure. But what the gospels tell us is that God's presence was not just there in that house of brick and stone, but in the person of Jesus, there was something new and radically different. The Gospel of John uses language like the tabernacle itself when in this opening few verses it says that the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of a a father's only son full of grace and truth. John, speaking about this word, which represented the very being of God that was with God in the beginning, that was God. Now that word has come to dwell among us. It is lived among us. The word itself is present, not just in stone, but in flesh and blood. And Jesus will often speak about his own body as a temple. Daring people to tear down his temple so that he could show that it would be raised again, built back within three days. Jesus himself represented God's presence in a new and different way. He represented what it meant for God to be here among us. And that is shocking enough. That itself is great good news, that God did not abandon Israel and that God had not abandoned the world, but instead had come to dwell in it in the person of Jesus, flesh and blood. That is the gospel of the incarnation. And we celebrate what it meant in the Great days of the calendar that Jesus came and was wrapped and became flesh. And that when that temple of his body was destroyed, was was killed, when it was destroyed, that God did indeed raise him again on the third day so that that temple could again be present. But we also celebrate an even more incredible story on the day of Pentecost. When after Jesus himself has ascended to return to the Father, the disciples who are gathered there in his name have the astonishing moment when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. Acts chapter 2. Tells the story of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared on all of them, among them. And a tongue rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. It says they began to speak in other languages as the spirit gave them ability. This astonishing moment creates a new reality for the church. A reality where they didn't necessarily have to be in a temple space. Or a, fl- or, a, or a brick and stone temple space to be in the presence of the Holy Spirit, that now very much like Jacob had been told, God would go with them wherever they went. That God's presence was not something that they would come to, but God's presence was something that would go with them. The temple theology of sacred space had now been replaced by this concept of the Holy Spirit that would dwell within them, as though every single one of them was a temple, as if every single believer was a temple of the Holy Spirit where God's presence would be wherever they are. And the New Testament knows that that is strange, and it fleshes out that idea in several spaces. One and. In- as, as a, a course, as a piece of language is when Paul is in the first in Corinthians chapter six is talking to the, the Corinthians there about uh, not going to prostitutes. And he says, how crass can you be to take your body, which is a temple of God, and then unite it with like with a prostitute in sex like this is bad, right? So you don't you, you don't understand that what you're doing is you're it's sacrilegious. You're desecrating God's dwelling place when you act like that. When you act callously towards your own body, you're acting callously towards the presence of God that lives within you. But not only does it talk about individual believers in that way, remarkably, the New Testament often talks more consistently about what it means to be the community of God's people using language of the temple. In first Corinthians chapter three, a couple of chapters earlier from that place in chapter six. He's talking about what it means to resist the urge to be divisive and to, to splinter the church and to break up into factions that follow different leaders. And he says to, Paul says to the church in verses 16 and 17, do you, and this is the Greek y'all, do y'all not know? That's the way, right? So not just you individually, but do you all not know that you all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you together, right? goes on to say that if anybody destroys God's temple God will destroy that person for God's temple is holy and you collectively are that temple what an astonishing thing And I wish that we could recover in that theology, which I think we all know somewhere in the back of our heads. But I wish it was as visceral to us of a thing that we understood as it was for the ancient Jews who went to the temple and gathered there in celebration. In other words, I wish that we had the same sense as that poem we read in Psalm 84 about how lovely is your dwelling place. I wish we all felt that way about the community between us. That it was a space of delight because every time we're with our brothers and sisters, we are in the presence of God. And I wish we felt in our hearts the same way that the prophet Jeremiah spoke about the temple that had been torn down and leveled to the ground. I wish we had that sense that every time there was a fracture and dissension and a breakup in the church, that it was just like Nebuchadnezzar had marched in and overthrown the temple again. That that sense of disaster was as visceral to us in any space where God's church has anything but love and community in a sense of who we are with each other do you feel it how treasured the temple was that old house of brick and stone and how much more precious should it be for us that god's presence has come to be persistently with us in the space of our each otherness. What if we had the imagination and the attention to recognize That indeed what Jesus says is true. And whenever whenever two or three are gathered together, there he is in our midst. Being together with us. Just not in the spaces of the sacred let us pray at the beginning of church to the closing amen. But wherever, wherever we gather together, All it takes is you and one other person to have the church present. To have a particularly sacred space in which God dwells. We have always built shrines that is in the nature of humanity. We have always built little places to say, like Jacob, this must be a special place where I've encountered God. It's not just that we build the shrines, though, my friends. We are the shrines. We are the temple. And just so that I'm being crystal clear, we are still talking about friendship this week because the last thing that I want to say about friendship, about what it means for us to live in love and peace with each other, is this. Friendship is sacred. And I mean that with all the force that the word sacred can hold. It's not just good and nice and pleasant. Friendship is a space in which God's presence dwells. Let us hold it in delight whenever we find it. Let us pursue it whenever it is absent and let us regard it as an absolute disaster whenever it is fractured. And most of all, let us look with ever-growing hope to the last day when God will take all of the things that have created fracture among us and he will dispel them all so that we may be with each other and with god totally receive his presence built together as ephesians chapter 2 says that we are being being built together into a temple a place where his presence dwells let's pray together O present God, who has been with us from the beginning, who has pursued your people wherever they have gone, who has chosen to come into the world in the flesh of your son Jesus, and who has come to be present with us by your Holy Spirit. O present God, We pray that you would give us attentive eyes to see your presence in each other and in the space between us. May we honor you. May we live with you an attention to your presence so that you may be glorified by all the things that we bring to you. God, we pray that you would uh, let your church, by the love that dwells between us, be an evident temple of your presence between us. And Father, we pray that in all of that, your name is honored. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, this is what we're at work as people who are following Jesus together. We are at work the business of making known the God who lives between us. If you want to be a part of that journey, if you want to be a part of this mission that we're trying to follow together, you are welcome to come while we stand and sing together.